Hello all, my name is David Craig. I am filling in for Leon today on Return the Reason. You know, today's guest will be speaking to an issue that provokes a wide range of emotions, and that is medical assistance in dying, also known as MAID. In June 2016, Parliament passed Bill C-14. MAID is now enshrined in the law of our land. Anyone who could show that their death was reasonably foreseeable was eligible. And stats show us that made deaths, they've increased now every year, and they now account for actually about 5% of deaths across the province. Here to discuss the dichotomy of choosing an easy death over a difficult life is the executive director of an organization called Life Culture. Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Susan Penner, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Now, would you tell me a little bit about um, what's happening in Canada right now? And specifically, what exactly is MADE um, if people do not understand or know really what's happening in our country? Okay, well, MADE stands for Medical Assistance in Dying, and it is the Canadian legislation that allows physicians, nurses, uh, well, nurse practitioners specifically and pharmacists to carry out euthanasia and assisted suicide. So it seeks to allow eligible participants to have a death with dignity. That's a common phrase, death with mm -hmm. dignity. But actually, it directly threatens the belief that every life, no matter age or ability, is worth protection, care and respect. Um, euthanasia specifically is the direct administration of a substance that causes death, such as an injection of a drug. So this would be administered by a physician or a nurse practitioner, whereas assisted suicide is a provision um, or prescription of a drug that the eligible person takes themselves in order to bring about their own death. Now, from my understanding, what I've been learning these last number of days is that Canada has become a leader in this area in the world. And there's other countries that are, are, are pretty open with this as well. But is that true? Has Canada become a leader? And how much have we actually increased? It seems like there's an exponential increase happening over the last couple of years when it comes to MAID. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was in a meeting earlier this week with some other uh, pro-life leaders. And it's interesting, countries around the world are looking at implementing MAID, but they're looking at Canada as how not to do it because we've become the most permissive around the world when it comes to medical assistance and dying. Um, for some perspective, if you look at the state of California, they implemented MADE the same year Canada did, 2016. And uh, last year in 2021, California had 486 deaths by MADE. Canada had 10,064. And we have like, the same population, uh, implemented the same year. So that just kind of gives perspective into how out of control MAID is in Canada. Now that change in numbers, would that be because of our system is very loose in terms of allowing, like the criteria seems to be pretty low to get through. Is there other reasons that, that add to that? Or Yeah, like primarily in California um, or even in a lot of other jurisdictions in the world, death has to be imminent. Like you have to dot be dying within six months, I think is California's uh, parameter there. And they don't offer made. So a patient would have to request it. So where in Canada, there are no parameters, really, your death does not have to be foreseeable. And also physicians are allowed to bring up made and often even recommended that they bring up made to patients. So it just shows how important safeguards is and how that our safeguards are and how they actually impact uh, numbers. Okay, so 
let me ask you this then. Well, let's back up just a tiny bit. Who can apply right now in Canada for MAID? How wide are those goalposts for people? Okay, so in Canada right now, you have to be 18 and you have to have a serious illness, disease or disability that cannot be reversed um, or relieved to a level of comfort that's acceptable to you. You do not need to have a fatal or terminal condition to be eligible for medical assistance in dying. Um, further, in March, patients with mental illness will be eligible for MAID. But the thing is, uh, we hear those parameters, but we're actually starting to see cases of when people are poor or disabled and they don't have access to proper resources um, being eligible for MAID now. Mm-hmm. So who approves people to be able to go, uh, move ahead with being medically assisted and dying? Is it a panel on the board or is it a physician or a couple physicians? Yeah, well, first of all, there's kind of, I'll say, maybe a, a two-track system in Canada. So if your death is not foreseeable, there's a 90-day waiting period that you, you apply, and there's a 90-day waiting period. However, if your death is foreseeable, there is no waiting period, no 90 days. So even if you think of somebody who might be terminally ill and they're having a bad day, presumably they could uh, request made and theoretically get it that same day. Um yeah, so there's kind of this two-track system. So primarily it's between the physician and the, the patient. So in terms of, you know, even having an objective witness to say, yes, this is okay, there's organizations or people that who are willing to approve that that aren't even necessarily family, for example. So there'd be loopholes, I would say. If you if you want it, it's you can make yourself eligible. And Canada seems to be the place that you're most likely to do that. Yeah. With um, so just just to play devil's advocate slightly, so some people on the other side, maybe a lot of people would say, well, there are people who are living with um, serious, severe pain, um, no quality of life. Why wouldn't we want to help them with, as we met, you mentioned earlier, dignity in death? That stating, what would your answer be to someone like that who is actually in a situation where? And they've got very low quality of life. And maybe death isn't imminent, but they might be a couple years away. I would say we should be working towards dignity in life, not dignity in death necessarily. So if you look at Canada, only 30% of people have access to proper palliative care. And by palliative care, I don't just mean like for older people. Yeah. Um, palliative care. So if you only if only 30% of people have access to, let's say, proper supports, proper pain medication. Is it really a choice that we're giving them? It's either to suffer or to die. I think we should be investing more um, in things, let's say like physicians who are specialists in pain because uh, pain, 90% of pain can be managed if it's treated properly. So I think we are jumping ahead too soon without looking at other things we can do to actually help people have dignity in life. In conversations that you've had with physicians and people who've been in in the industry or currently are, um, doctors and physicians and and everyone in the medical field, they're taking oaths to help preserve life, help help with patients. What are physicians saying that you've encountered? Do people have a problem with this? If they do have a problem with helping and assisting, are they able to refuse? What what are physicians saying in regards to this and where Canada's going with MAID? 
Okay, there's a couple of questions there, so I'll try yeah. and address them in this. So doctors who oppose MAID believe they have a moral obligation to help people live, which is traditionally what we've expected from doctors. Uh, this does not mean disproportionate medical intervention, though. Our technology, medical technology, is so advanced. There are times when it is okay to let somebody die naturally, but that's very different than um, an intentional lethal injection, I'll say. Mm -hmm. These doctors, they took an oath to help people live, not to die. So MAID is really going against, um, you know, their morals and what they wanted to do as doctors. However, on the other side, if you look at a doctor, produced by Canada's providers of medical assistance in dying. The document states that doctors have a professional obligation to bring up MAID as an option when it's medically relevant and the person is likely eligible as a part of the informed consent process. So you really have, um, you know, quite a wide range of doctors now when it comes to, I guess I'll say the sanctity of life and the value of suffering, yeah. those types of things. So uh, there's no clear, you know, there's not... Yeah, there's different doctors. Um, when it comes to conscious rights rights protection, Manitoba is the only province that formally has conscious rights protections for doctors who don't want to participate, but no other province has that. It's interesting looking at issues, especially in the last five, six, seven years in Canada, where things you used to think were lines in the sand that you can't cross, like you mentioned, sanctity of life, um, seem to be on a very slippery slope and um leon and our on return to reasons often said we gotta play the movie out to see what's going to happen if you can foresee 5 10 15 20 years down the road um and with what you guys are trying to do at life culture what are you trying to if, if you can play the movie out what are you where do you see this going the direction of canada when it comes to made right now well, you know, I don't use the term slippery slope very often, but I would actually say made is probably a very good um, example of slippery slope. So when it was initially introduced in 2016, it's framed as, you know, somebody who's suffering and is going to die very soon anyways. Yeah. So that's, that's how it initially got implemented in 2016. Then in 2021, it was radically, you know, the parameters were reduced. So it's really accessible to anyone who is suffering at any any level and then in 20 like i say in march now it's going to be for people with mental illness yep. um the greater issue or the root issue or what i'm seeing is just this increasingly i'll say materialistic worldview and that life is just matter no of no eternal significance so whether we live or die doesn't actually matter and i think it speaks to a certain degree to the lack of hope in our country hmm. um Whereas people, you know, a lot of people feel they really have nothing, nothing to live for. Um, what's interesting, if you look at the parliamentary report on medical assistance and dying, the primary reason people are choosing it isn't because of pain or suffering. It's because they've lost the ability to do things that give their life meaning, or it's from loneliness or isolation or not wanting to be a burden. So it's interesting. It's, it's being framed as, you know, this medical relief, but it's actually more social, spiritual, hmm. emotional that is causing people to ultimately, ultimately choose medical assistance and dying. And those are things we should be able to overcome as a culture. You mentioned when you're just talking about in 2021, after it's introduced in 2016 and determined as a constitutional right for people to be able to have access to this. In 2021, the parameters were radically reduced. 
Can you expl explain why they were? What was the reasoning behind that F from, from, from obviously the, our government who is pushing that? Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things. Um, politically, talking about autonomy, everybody wants autonomy, and that's why we're doing this. People should have autonomy. Um, the challenge with the autonomy argument is that um, you're actually forcing, let's say, doctors or other people to get on, on board with something they might not be comfortable with. But the other mm -hmm. part of autonomy is somebody, true autonomy, you can take your own life. You don't need permission from the government to take your own, own life, right? To commit suicide. Yeah. So it is interesting on the one hand, we talk about autonomy, but people already have autonomy to make that decision. This is just, you know, softening it and making it acceptable. Um, yeah, so that would be one of the main things I'm okay. seeing. But the other piece of that would be the savings to the healthcare system. Yeah. Okay. Quite frankly, in a universal healthcare system that just can't keep up, uh, medical assistance in dying provides a huge healthcare healthcare savings. So it might be framed as autonomy and compassion, yeah. but I think the root of it is actually financial, at least in how aggressive Canada is being, for sure. Interesting. It's it's interesting looking at any argument where euphemisms are involved yes. to soften words is that that for me right off the hop is a is a huge indicator that there's major flaws in terms of what you're trying to purport and yeah. and to get out there and, and utilizing um made and using terms that are going to make people feel like it's a good thing you're really just covering up what it really is at the end of the day so um what would be life what would be life culture's message and over the next while trying to educate Canadians. If you, if you had a, a massive megaphone that all 30 million people in Canada, 35 million people are listening to, what would you try to let them know when it comes to MADE? Oh, I, I would just want to let people know that your life has value. Like, yeah, I think that's the ultimate thing. People just feel like their lives aren't valuable. And so that part of me is like, no, your, your life does matter. And I would mm. really love people to walk alongside the people uh, who, who are struggling. So when it comes to made, you know, we hear things like compassion and mercy. It's a compassionate thing to do, but the Latin root of the word compassion means to suffer with, to have compassion is to walk along somebody who is suffering, not take out the person who is suffering. Yeah. So I think we just need to reframe, you know, our, our perspective. Unfortunately, life does have suffering. We all know that. But having said that in that suffering, you know, a lot of good can come from that, not not just um, for our own personal journeys, but even for the people around us that see how we handle it and what we can bring to the table in, in our suffering. So I think those are kinds of, you know, life has value. And, you know, there's going to be people who can walk with you yeah. through that. Well said. So if, if, if you had your way, would you scrap the MADE program entirely or would you have it extremely tight parameters to where there are certain people that are eligible um, to be well, able to walk through? Right. For me personally, I, I do, do not support MADE. Yeah. Um, having said that, I don't think there's any going back in our country right now. So what I'd really like to see is them to pull back on the, the parameters again. However, even with mental illness, um, restrictions loosening, th there's many organizations from people with disabilities, from mental health organizations who are opposed to this expansion of MADE. However, the government's still moving ahead with it. So 
Um, a lot of flags and concerns have been raised, but this just seems to be the track we're on. I would hope as time goes on, when we see the consequences of this, maybe governments would start tightening again to where it was limited to people who are, you know, suffering greatly yeah. and need to be dying soon. Um, but that's from the government perspective. From my perspective, I, I wouldn't, I don't support MAID. Right now, with the way the system is, does someone who has a mental illness, who might also not be thinking clearly, they seem to have the ability to go through with something like this when maybe their quality of life isn't compared to what the original status was. Can you comment on that? What's happening when it comes to people who are mentally ill? Yeah, I mean, obviously it hasn't been implemented yet, but in terms of, I'll give you an example. I got a phone call from somebody I actually know personally, and she told me that if made for mental illness had been um, available five years ago, she for sure would have taken take it made. Um, she was really depressed, really struggling. And she said five years later now, she has two grandkids. Her life is just wonderful. And she looks back to think of how close she was uh, to taking her life. And she just said like people at their lowest time or in their deepest depression should not be able to make this decision. And that is not to minimize uh, what people with mental illness are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. I know it's really, really difficult and it's really difficult, can be really difficult to treat in terms of finding the right treatment. Having said that, again, the goal is to remove the suffering, not the person yep. is suffering, right? So I, I think here too, greater efforts need to be made to treat people. One of the challenges too, is we have such a hyper-individualistic culture and I think we're seeing really, when it comes to both things like abortion and MAID, I think we're seeing the outcome of that, where we're not living in community as much as we used to. We don't care about other people as much as we used to. So I think that's some of the, you know, underlying ground uh, frame, framework as well, right? In an individualistic culture, we're not caring about others maybe as much as we should. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You can even throw in the word compassion that... They're using the word compassion and dignity to help people die. And you, we could even make an argument that it's actually the opposite right now. It seems like it might be the easy road out. Yeah. Compassion would be able to take these people by the hand and walk with them, help yeah. them have the best quality of life, to actually be there as a human being, to, to walk um, the end of their life out or, or however long they have left to live. That, to me, seems like real, true compassion. And that's tough and that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure, like yourself, I've known people and seen people pass and had to see them go through that tough time. But being beside them also is some of the most rewarding times of my life. I can say that truly um, being a part of that process with them. But um, there's a lot of people who are going to be watching this program. Canadians how can they be a part of the conversation? If they've got concerns, maybe a red flag has just jumped up because of the things you've been saying and they're like, I want to be able to speak up. I want to have a part of this conversation. What would you urge them to do? How can they act? How can they make their voice heard? Is there places they need to go to learn more? Yeah, the approach I would take is just really to encourage people, first of all, to become equipped themselves. You know, read the reports, read the numbers so often we're fed stuff on social media or in the media and we take it at face value but if you actually dig a little deeper you know yeah. you know there's there's more to the story so i think pers people personally need to be equipped on it of course we can always 
email and get in contact with our uh, government officials, that type of thing. But I think we need to be equipped. So even at the grassroots level in these personal conversations, I think sometimes we focus too much on, um, or we spend all our energy. And now we're going to, we're going to get in touch with the government on this. We're going to email our MPs. And I think we sometimes lose sight of, you know what, what about the conversations around us and mm-hmm. made is, is, you know, most people, now in the next 10, 20 years, we'll know somebody who's made that choice. So I think we need to be very careful also in how we address things again, whether it's abortion or made to be uh, sensitive to the fact that these things are increasingly common um, and know how to have these conversations one-on-one with people as well, not just on social media or not just on the government level. The other thing I would love to see is more churches talk about the sanctity of life, abortion and made because um, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, I've really realized that a lot of Christians aren't even equipped in these these areas. So I, if the church and if Christians aren't equipped, how would we expect even broader culture to be equipped? So those are kind of some of my recommendations. It's a great point. We, I believe issues in our country are decided over the dinner table. And a lot of times, actually probably more often than not now, these conversations aren't being had around the dinner table for whatever reasons. Life is busy, other things are priorities, whatever. But when people are educated and start diving into issues and and not being afraid to have these conversations um, with people who may or may not disagree, that's really when the national conversation can start to go. So that's a great thought. I would just encourage people who are watching, if this is interesting to you or you have a passion or, or generally you believe the sanctity of life like like you and I both do is start educating so you can have those conversations with people around you. They're tough conversations to have, but they're also extremely valuable. And that's how we become better as a nation and as citizens. Yeah. And you know, when we're equipped, then we're less defensive as yeah. well. Uh, I think that's important because our culture, like we're told not to judge and our culture is very polarized. So I can see where people are a little guarded when it comes to this. But, you know, when you're equipped and can just stay cool and calm and have some of these discussions, it can go a long way. Yep. There's an interesting quote that uh, I believe a psychiatrist Mark Comrade mentioned talking about assisted suicide as being sold as health care. Seems obviously very <laughs> contradictory of each other. And he said, if you replaced basically the needle or, or the pill with a gun, it would paint the picture differently. This alludes to what I was saying to earlier about euphemisms in the arguments. Now, that's, that being said, leading to my question is right now with doctors, have there been, are you aware of any cases of doctors who have not wanted to go ahead, or let's say if they've had a client or a person say, I want to move ahead with MAID, and a doctor does not want to go ahead with it. Is there any repercussions for that doctor at this point? Yeah, you know, that would be a provincial to provincial situation. And I'm not sure actually what, let's say, um, from province to province, what they require specifically some may require that even if the doctor doesn't want to do it they may be required to recommend um, another doctor who is willing to do it and I think this conversation I think is really evolving because we're still like early we're early days really when it comes to the made conversation particularly now that the parameters have been expanded so I think we're going to have to wait that out a little bit and uh till we start hearing from more physicians and the, the fact is I think it is relatively easy to find a physician that is willing. Yeah. So even if your own doctor doesn't want to do it, there are there are ways you can find somebody who does. So this is very much becoming a commonplace in Canada 
and that's the direction it's moved. Now, to bring politics into it a little bit, uh, well, this is a political issue, but in 2016, when this started, and 2021, as it continued to grow, do you know, and this you may might not know this, but regarding our political parties, was this purported by one political party, or were all political parties on board with this? Was there a lot of pushback? Um, do you remember how that went down? Well, in terms of it, maybe I'll say being political, you know, campaigning on helping people die isn't exactly um, a great campaign platform. So I don't know that any party would initially at least would have made it a part of their campaign to get elected. Um, So it's not really something to gain public support, because I think ultimately people would say Canadians would probably say, well, yes, we support it, but we believe there should be some parameters. I think that would probably be general, although now the autonomy argument keeps coming up more and more. Yeah. Um, so in terms of it political that way, I'm not sure that it's okay. it's a political move. I think it's more in terms of healthcare savings, to be honest, is where we're looking to save money in the healthcare system. And this this makes sense, right? However, like you said, with euphemisms, it's framed as compassion. Yeah. Um, unlike with abortion, abortion, let's say if you're part of the Liberal Party, you can't be an, you know, you can't be an MP that is pro-life if you're yeah. part of the Liberal Party. I don't know that any of the parties have taken that position. I think it it is still um, an MP to MP. There's Conservative MPs who have you know, tried to bring up private member bills on this, they always lose on the on the floor. But um, right now, I think it's still probably MP to MP within each party. Yeah, that's good. Now with Life Culture, how can our audience support what you're doing? Where can they go find out more about what Susan's been up to, things that you've been involved with, but also Life Culture? I want to send people to you to show them uh, basically everything you guys have been involved with. Tell us about Life Culture and how they can help you. Wonderful. Well, you can always find out more information at our website, which is lifeculture.ca. But again, uh, we take the approach of providing life affirming um, teaching, and then also practically helping women. So let's say life affirming teaching would be um, going to school or youth groups or doing pastors lunches, speaking at various events, just, you know, on life and the value of life. But we also have the practical support for women. So we're not uh, pregnancy crisis in terms of providing counseling. But we do help women, whether it's with a pregnancy or domestic situation. There's a variety of issues um, that have come up. We support them financially to help make their circumstances better. We also have something called Angel Baby, which is pregnancy and infant loss support. So there's a lot of things things going on, but they're, they're on our website at lifeculture.ca. Awesome. Great. Well, we'll make sure that we send people over to see what you're doing. Thank you so much for your time. Susan, really appreciate it. Uh, Looking forward to hopefully having you on again. All the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it as well. You are an essential part of this series. Support truth, knowledge, and wisdom by sharing this show with a friend. Visit returntoreason.tv. There you can subscribe to my newsletter by clicking Become an Insider. Get the latest articles, episodes, and exclusive content. You'll be the first to know about fascinating conversations I've had recently and what my research team is working on. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes. Experience Return to Reason. Get involved.